there's a little ray of sunshine that's just walked into our studio. When, when I say a little ray of sunshine, she's always in the most colourful clothing. Hello. We've got the uh, Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell, joining us in the uh, studio this morning. Sarah, thank you for coming in. Marcus, thanks for having me. It's a, uh, and when I say uh, we'll put a video up and some <laughs> photos, you'll see. Uh, I mean, we've got this dull weather outside, but here you are looking like a, a bunch of flowers. Oh, it's lovely. Well, that's kind. I do have a very bright jacket on today for yeah. your listeners, but I will say we've had three weeks of Parliament and late night sitting, so sure. I think sometimes the bright jackets might distract from the bags under the eyes after having... A, a few late nights at the Parliament, but you know, yeah. always always good to have a bit of fun with fashion. That's what I say. Well, I've spoken to some of your your, your fellow MPs this week. It's been one of those uh, very busy weeks, as you know. There was a bit of catching up to do because of the disruptions with COVID this year, and uh, we've had some extra sitting days. Your uh, house is finished. Um, it's business for this parliamentary sitting year, uh, but maybe uh, another day or so to go in the other house just to maybe look at a few amendments to the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we finished in the upper house uh, at about 8.30, I think, last night. We okay. were meant to sit today, but we're efficient, so we got through all of our business. There's mm. always a nice amount of uh, rivalry between the two houses. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, the the upper ha- the lower house sorry, will continue to sit today. Um, they were dealing with some amendments to that Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill last night, and I believe that they'll be doing more of that today. All right. Now, uh, let's start with some good news. Yours is one of the most important portfolios uh, within government, the education portfolio. just wanted to start this morning with the, with the, the, the good news of the last couple of days. All Year 12 students will be able to attend their year of school celebrations following a year of disruptions caused by, obviously, COVID. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Is that uh, irregardless of VAC status? Yeah, that's right. So Brad Hazard as the Health Minister has made an exemption under the Public Health Order that any Year 12 student will be able to attend their own formal or graduation ceremony regardless of their status. Um, They will have to do, if they're not vaccinated, a PCR test within three days of the event just to prove that that's negative Uh, and then of course follow any sort of COVID advice at the venue that they're attending their formal at. But look, we just thought it was important, you know, these Year 12 kids have had a really tough year um, and a lot of them are fully vaccinated. The the rates are pretty high in that age group and growing, but we just thought for those students who who maybe for whatever reason aren't or can't be vaccinated yet, um, Mm. we should give them that opportunity to go. And I think it's the right thing for the kids. It it is an exemption, but uh, we thought on balance it was the right thing to do. Well, we're getting closer to effectively living with COVID and the announcement from your government yesterday saying that uh, we're getting uh, closer to that uh, December 15 point. Mm. There's been further easing of restrictions which we've spoken about this morning so I think it's a good move it makes sense. Yeah look it is and I think you know as a community it's all down to the fact that so many people have gone out and gotten vaccinated you know the fact that we're nearly 2.3 I think. Yeah I mean it's amazing we're leading not just the country but the world and I think that you know it's credit to our community for doing that vaccines work and we know that um, and and we're seeing that and I think if you look at overseas jurisdictions you know COVID as you say is still something that we're going to have to live with. Others, Other countries overseas as they're coming into winter are having you know further waves and I think we're very cognizant as a government that we're not through this yet and but we have to be sort of safe and sensible but also where we can ease restrictions we should and uh, and that's what we're seeing particularly come December 15 which I think everyone's looking forward to. Just something before we move on on HSC my son did his HSC last year Mm. It, it was slightly distracted probably not as much as this year what are you hearing from students who have, have sat uh, their final HSC this year? Are they, are they okay? Because it's been tough. There's been a, a, a lack of face-to-face 
teaching as we know there's been disruptions yeah oh, look I think by and large they've done an amazing job and that they are managing as uh, pretty pretty well I mean look mm. it, the HSC is tough and, and I've met with a lot of year 12 students this year and sort of trying to reassure them that feeling nervous about your exams or anxiety at finishing school is really normal everybody mm, has that absolutely. every year um, but of course it's been harder this year because they've missed so much and as you say many students missed a term or more with mm. their friends and with their teachers but we've had a lot of really good mental health and well-being support for everybody so far, touch wood, we've still got a few days to go, but the HSE exams have gone incredibly well with not a lot of disruption because of COVID. Yeah. And um, and there's a lot of support in place. And so I think for these students, just knowing that, you know, they'll get through it, they'll be able to go next year to uni or further work or TAFE or study or whatever mm. it is that they want to do, there's still a lot of opportunities for them. And, and so I think they'll get through it and get through it well. Rapid antigen home testing kits uh, mm-hmm. to be rolled out to New South Wales primary schools. That's obviously a bid to minimise further disruptions like we've spoken about. Tell me about this. Yeah, so we've moved to a point now actually starting from Monday, Marcus, where um, effectively we're really not going to see school students having to isolate for long periods of time anymore and be able to come back to school, which is great. So there's been different iterations of this, obviously at the beginning of the pandemic or when there was a positive case and you were a close contact and particularly the unvaccinated students, which is largely those in primary school, obviously, because there's no vaccine for under 12s, um, would have to be out for two weeks and it's been really hard on yeah. families when that happens. A few, uh, About a week ago we were able to make some changes where we could bring them back from day eight if we were rapid antigen testing which again was all about minimising that time out of the classroom um, but we were able to announce yesterday that from Monday once a student is identified as a close contact as soon as they get a negative PCR test so the ones that you have you know at, yep. a, at a health clinic mm-hmm. um, they'll be able to come back to school the next day we'll just ask them to do rapid antigen testing at home every morning before they come come in for seven days mm-hmm. there's it's really easy the school will supply the kits there's well, they an need app to be masked? um well it depends so the mask rules stay the same so sure, at the okay. moment primary school kids masks aren't required yep. high school they are um mm-hmm. and they're required for staff so that setting doesn't change but effectively what happens is if they're a close contact get your negative pcr and you can come back to school the next day as long as you have your negative tests and they're easy to do at home there's an app that the parents can just yep. put the result in and the principal knows and um it just means kids aren't out you know literally for weeks, which is something that we were dealing with not all that long ago. When we reach 95% or December 15, uh, you mentioned the masks Mm. at at high schools. Do they go then as well? Yeah, so that's something that we're looking at. I mean, school finishes on the 17th of December, so we're pretty much at the end of the school year. And indeed, Mm. a lot of those last schools, those last couple of days have as sort of staff development day. So it'll probably align, I would imagine, quite well with the end of term. But we'll have a look at that a little closer to the date. I think a lot of our thoughts now are about well, what does term one look like exactly. next year? Yeah, yeah. and seeing what we can do there. Have a much better idea, uh, you know, late January uh, mm. as to where we're sitting. Uh, vaccination levels, fingers crossed, we're sitting at 97, 98%. That would be amazing. Uh, then, obviously, there may not be a need in the school setting, in the secondary school setting, in high schools for uh, for mask wearing. Hey, look, absolutely. And, you know, and I think particularly for our staff, they're all fully vaccinated. They have mm. to be to be on site. Um, a lot of our high school students are and I think if vaccines come in for the younger age groups over the Christmas period and we are certainly keen to see what a target in the federal government uh, decide in terms of, of that uh, vaccine advice. Yeah. Again, we could just be in a whole new setting come the end of January when school returns and so that's what we'll work on over the summer break. But look, for me as Education Minister, I want the kids at school and I want us to get back to normal. I want parents back on site and activities happening and you know, it's, and we're getting there. There's a lot we've been able to reintroduce so yeah. hopefully next year will be uh, even better.
All right, um, curly one here. Uh, teacher shortages, perhaps brought about by um, a lack of wanting to get vaccinated. I know it's a small minority, but some of the figures that have been bandied around have been a little uh, concerning. Where are we on this? So we're sitting at about 98% of our teachers in New South Wales public schools, which is the data that I see as the government, you know, employs our public school teachers. Uh, About 98% are are vaccinated. So um, we are talking about... um, very small numbers of teachers who are not yet vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have teams in the department who are speaking to each and every one of them about why not. We've seen others sort of attest and give us their status over the last little while. Um, but it, it, it's in sort of, you know, it's a, it's a few hundred that we're, 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 okay. we're in touch with about that. So it's um, come down from yeah. a couple of thousand yeah, that we I were think, told I about think, weeks ago. Yeah, I've, I've latest figures I think we're sort of sitting at um, about seven eight hundred but that's staff sort of across the board yep, so yep. look considering we've got a public education system the biggest in the southern hemisphere and 2,200 public schools and about 130,000 staff mm. all up on the Department of Education payroll um, our rates are very high and again it actually doesn't surprise me because when I've been speaking to teachers and our stakeholders you know they're happy to get vaccinated it protects them it protects their colleagues mm. and their students um, yep. so I think it's there's a workplace safety element there too that that for all I've heard is that they appreciate that and I think that's a good thing. Uh, teachers shortages just on that issue. Um, some press recently about how um, perhaps uh, teachers that are more qualified in other realms have been moving into to fill a filling gaps in, mm. in mathematics teaching, for instance, and others. Is that still an ongoing problem that you're, you're dealing with at the moment? Yeah, I mean, obviously, from time to time, there'll be shortages in certain areas or in certain subject areas. And again, when you consider the size and scale of our system, um, you know, there's a lot of schools and a lot of teachers, and, and that would happen in any large organisation. Um, our vacancy rates traditionally are very low. They sit, again, right. at, a, at a few percent, so they're, they're not um, widespread. But there are times, yes, when there's certain subject disciplines are, are a little mm. bit harder to attract um, people into. But Has, that's why we're, we're doing quite a bit in that space to try to, to fix that issue. Has too much been made of a teacher shortage by, you know, the opposition and by, and by others, by unions perhaps? Mm. Has there... Has there been too much made of this? Is it not as big an issue as what it's been made out to be, say, in some sections? Yeah, I mean, look, I do think some of the commentary around this is opportunistic, and I would expect that from the opposition and and from the unions, you know, in a sense, that's their their job. Um, But, you know, there are schools from time to time that do have shortages that we work with them to fill any gaps. Um, But by and large, this is not a systemic issue. Uh, And I think the reality is we recognise we do need more teachers. We know we've got more students coming into the system we know that we're going to face retirements. We've also got less people taking up education degrees at universities. That's dropped quite significantly. Is, is that a problem? Yeah, look, it is. Yeah. And so we need to look at that as well. Mm. And so we've got, I think I've, I've been on the program before and talked about our teacher supply strategy. Yes. So it's a $125 million investment over the next four years. Yeah. And it's looking at a range of things. It's looking about, you know, teachers who live in other states or ex-Aussies who might be teachers overseas, particularly in maths and science, getting them to come back. Um, mid-career opportunities for people who might might be working in a totally different industry but they're interested to come into into the teaching workforce and we're targeting again STEM subjects in that. Um, a grow your own policy, identifying really high performing senior students in regional areas and supporting them through a teaching degree and getting them back in our country mm. schools. You know, mm. there's a lot happening in this space um, because we know we need to make sure we invest in our workforce and I'm very committed to that um, but I also think that we've got the levers that we can pull to get the outcomes that we need and we all just need to work together. You know, I want the unions 
means to be at the table with us and help us come up with the solutions rather than be critical all the time because that doesn't serve anybody well, in my view. Um, uh, people who are in their, say, mid-40s, late-40s or early-50s, uh, me, for instance, I mean, I always thought, for instance, if, I, uh, if this all fell over and I didn't have a, a, a career in broadcasting anymore, I always thought, you know, I have a degree... Mm. Uh, I would love to teach mm. because I've you know I've gone to and uh, done lectures or whatever before yeah. just you know just part time casually but I wouldn't mind actually uh, partaking in that as a career. So mm. if people are listening this morning that are at that age group and perhaps they've because of COVID been retrenched or they're looking at a, a change of career and they already have a degree, mm. whether it's a degree in communications, in, in whatever, it doesn't really take much more mm. to then progress, does it, to mm. become a um, either a primary or secondary teacher in New South Wales? Yeah, well, look, it depends on what your current qualification is. For yeah. many, it is actually a two-year master's, okay. and that is part of, part of the challenge, right? And that's what we're looking at with that mid-career transition, because... Okay. You know, for someone who does think I want to change and I want to, I've got a passion to, you know, and I think this is something I'd be good at. Two years when you're at stages of your life when you've got expenses and other things and it's family, a long time. it is a long yeah. time. And so with mid career, what we're looking at is not in any way diminishing the quality. And you, and you know, there will be, I'm sure, a lot of cases where people will still have to do the two years. But how do we get you in the school more quickly? Can we get you in, you know, um, kind of almost doing a traineeship, like be, you know, okay. being paid as a paid as a, a member of the staff um, as your studying and um, learning on the job at the same time and and that feedback has come literally from roundtables I've had with principals saying it would be really good to get access to people who are doing their masters earlier get them in whether it's you know help with things like marking and assessment and planning and just having kind of that extra support for them as teachers but also I think for the person coming in to really start to understand the culture of the school and how everything works and get a feel for the role and I think that's important and and particularly you know coming back to the supply strategy what we want to do with the Grow Your Own and we've also got a program for our school learning support officers so used to be called sort of teachers aid that might be a term your um, listeners are more familiar with but but to help them also uh, upskill to get their degree to become teachers as well like they are amazing supports in our classrooms Mm. each and every day. All schools can't operate without them. Of course not like they're vital so if we can support some of them to become teachers as well you know these are the things that we're actively working on and we've got funded ready to go and so I think that's important that that messaging gets out there too. Because it's a great career i have many friends i've got a couple of people that i went to high school with who have now worked their way up to becoming school principals and and they love the job i mean it's a job for life yeah it is look my sister um she's a a primary school teacher although she now works with her husband in their business in gunnada i've got three cousins who are teachers another Mm. cousin who is one of the learning support officers at one of our schools as well so i think everyone um knows and and loves the teachers who are in their lives and you're right it's an incredibly rewarding profession and that's something again we should be promoting I know it's hard sometimes fighting for funding, and I I get that, you know, you as the education minister would love to be putting a school on, you know, just about every corner that's needed. Um, There's been some criticism in some of the the fast-growing areas of Sydney's west, say your Marsden Parks, uh, areas out there near the Mm. Alara Estate, and I know uh, your opposite, Prue Carr, has spoken to me many times, saying, you know, we desperately need a high school or a a public school built here. Mm. How hard is it to to fight for funding to get these uh, these schools built? Mm. Look, we're seeing record investment in schools in New South Wales. And, you know, we've had 
$7 billion invested already, $7.9 billion to come over the next four years. So it's yep. $15 billion in public education infrastructure. No government in the history of New South Wales has ever invested that much money. And so, you know, I have to say, you know, I've always, in the couple of years I've been Education Minister, had very uh, open receptions from the now Premier, Premier and former uh, Treasurer uh, Dominic Perrottet and the sure. current Treasurer Matt Keane. Um, they understand, as do I, mm. that we need to build schools in these growing areas. And, yep. you know, Western Sydney particularly, I think, of that investment, investment, you know, it is literally billions of dollars being spent on new and upgraded schools there. Mm. Uh, and we've also got um, really clever ways now that we can build our schools. We call them modern methods of construction. So, you know, you can now, in some cases, particularly new school and a new site, uh, once all the planning and development work is done, they can be up within months, you know, we can build a whole new school in under a year. Very yes, quickly. So yes. There's a lot of opportunity to build high quality, um, but much faster than the, the traditional builds. And a lot of that, again, is providing opportunities and jobs for, for our local tradies and businesses too. So, you know, I'm really happy to argue what we do in infrastructure because we've got a really good track record and yep. there's more to come. There's a great pipeline mm. uh, investing more than ever before. And these before. areas that are being mentioned, they are in the pipeline. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. So Marsden Park, the Alara yep. Estate, that sort of area where there's obviously a house going up yeah. every second, third week and young families are moving in there, mm. they are obviously obviously, in your plans to develop that infrastructure that's needed to educate the, the people that are moving to these areas. Absolutely. And we yeah. work really closely with planning, with local government. Yep. And the other thing that we do now, too, is not just be, you know, uh, not look at the local issues on their own. So we might also look at, well, what schools are in the area? You know, can we upgrade a school that exists as we build the new one? You know, how do you then move the enrolments to spread yeah. uh, where you need to across the, the, the sort of region or, the, the you know, look at the few suburbs around it rather than just sort of having a mm. siloed approach of that school, that school, that school. We sort of plan a bit more um, looking at the area more generally. And I, again, I think that's sensible as well because you've also got to look at particularly some of those areas where, you know, families move in, but they tend to to do what my bureaucrats call age in place, right? So you'll need a primary school that's quite, uh, you know, substantial for a period of time, but eventually you're going to need the high, high school, school for those yes. kids. So yeah. you've got to sort of, you know, but build the primary school, then build the high school, and then look at what you need to do and how you manage that. And, and it's really sophisticated, the planning that we can do these days. And yeah. again, I think our infrastructure investments show that. All right, just got a couple of minutes before we, we let you go. Um, the new curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, let's just uh, talk about that. Uh, there's been some discussion on getting back to phonetics, mm -hmm. that, that way of teaching, and, and also some changes. So uh, what are some of the highlights for early next year? Yeah, so we've focused firstly on kindergarten year one and year two maths and English um, because obviously they're the foundational years and we need to make sure mm. that the kids get those basics in terms of reading, writing and arithmetic. Uh, big fans of phonics. I am. A lot of your listeners will probably know with children, they've probably heard those annoying mm. songs and, you know, making the, the sounds and the letters, but it is, is evidence shows it's the best way to keep uh, teach kids how to read. Yeah. So certainly focus on phonics. In maths, again, really understanding the concepts. Um, and, you know, it's just about ensuring that our students get those building blocks that they need. It's a simpler curriculum for our teachers, and okay. we've got an online platform as well, which will make it easier for them, which is yeah. great. The online platform that you're talking about, is that also available for the public to see? Um, so it will be at the moment okay. it's available for our teachers to sure. use for their planning mm -hmm. um, and you know they're all telling me how great it is because they've never had something like that before yeah. but then we will look at what we can do for basically information that parents can have so they can go on and have a look and understand what their children are learning and when and just keep an eye on how they're progressing and I think it's important that parents are engaged we've certainly all been engaged a lot more this year with learning from home and well, we want to continue it. that and I think it's important to take advantage of the technology while it's there I mean everybody's behind a computer screen these days and if you 
you can involve parents in the you know in the curriculum tell let them know what's being taught to their children particularly at the early age they can also get involved and yeah it's a win-win situation absolutely sarah it's been wonderful having you in this morning um Education is, I think it's everybody's business. Mm. There's nothing more important um, than making sure we prepare young people, children moving from primary into secondary school and then, you know, progressing either to a tertiary education or the workforce. Mm -hmm. So it's a a major thing that we need to invest in and we need to ensure we're getting right. I think we do it very well here in New South Wales. Mm. I mean... As with everything, there are occasionally problems, and I look forward over the next however long discussing these with you into 2022 and beyond. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. There she is, the New South Wales Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell. Marcus Paul in the morning.